We're back for One Book, One Podcast. I'm Jenny Lewis. And I'm Alexa Adams-Robertson. And this is our podcast for One Book, One Lexington 2016. The title this year is How It Went Down. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the second part of the book. And for those of you reading along at home, this is roughly about pages 81 through 160. Um, And this section starts off with um, Junior actually leads the section. It's the first time we've been introduced to Junior. And Alexa, do you want to give us a little bit of information about him? Um, Yeah, absolutely. So when we first meet Junior, um, he is in prison. Um, We don't yet know why he's there. Um, We do know that uh, he is affiliated with Underhill, the neighborhood where Tariq was shot and killed. Um, and he doesn't really care about what is going down in the news. Um, some guys try and get him to sit down and watch the news coverage of something that's happening at Underhill, and then the minute that he hears Tariq's name, he suddenly becomes very interested in it. And then um, later on, we, we find out that Junior was part of kind of a, a foursome. It was Tariq, mm-hmm. Tyrell, Sammy, and, and Junior, and they were all the best of friends. They called themselves the Four Musketeers. So it's interesting to see, we already know Sammy had joined the Kings, and it's interesting to see now uh, Junior had also joined and mm-hmm. is in prison for his choice. We don't, um, we find out later on he kind of took the rap for someone. Um, but his storyline I found really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we're introduced via Junior to another character who we never see in the book um, called Sis. Skiss, yeah, short I'm for assuming, scissors. Yeah, yeah, short for scissors. <laughs> yeah, don't know how to say it. <laughs> um, and so apparently, yeah, he he participated in a, a murder of somebody, um, and kind of ended up going to prison because he was underage. Um, and so they thought that he would get tried as a juvenile. Seems to me that he's in prison for life. I don't know if that is ever explicitly stated. Yeah, I got that impression too because he talks about uh, when they talk about wanting to watch news coverage and, and of Underhill, and he just has sort of already shut that part of his life off mm-hmm. because it makes it seem like he's just going to be in prison for a very, very long time. Right, and he also talks about his mother used to come and visit him every single week and. And then it dwindled till once every month. And now he says, don't worry about it. It's a really long bus ride. Come on my birthday. Yeah. Um, which is really heartbreaking. It is, especially when you, you think, you know, he's the same age as these other guys. And, right. And for some reason in my head, Sammy always seems so much older, I think because of the gang affiliation. Mm-hmm. But Tariq and Tyrell really seem like kids to me. So Junior's probably roughly the same age, 16, 17. And he's now, you know, spending a good chunk of the rest of his life in jail. Mm, absolutely. Horrible. Yeah. At one point in the book, they talk about zipping all their sleeping bags together and having yeah. sleepovers, and it's just, it's it's rough to read. Uh, soon after Junior, we have a chapter on uh, Steve, who mm-hmm. is Will's stepdad. Will, of course, is the tagger, mm-hmm. the kid who had grown up in Underhill, moved out to the suburbs with his mom and his stepdad, um, but goes back to Underhill at night to, to tag. Um, he's a graffiti artist. And we're really seeing another side of Steve here. We're seeing he's really protective. He's really proud of Will. Um, but they actually have, like, a little altercation um, where he's kind of telling um, Steve, you know, you don't understand why this is painful for me. And, and Steve's like, but you don't even know this guy. And he says this great line. Will says, I ain't have to know him to know him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the first time we really get how hard this is hitting Will. I really love the interactions between Steve Connors and Will. Um, I feel like... The more Will challenges Steve, the more Steve grows and understands and respects his stepson, which yeah. I think is really nice to see. It's fantastic. They have a really healthy relationship yeah. um, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Steve actually is trying to do the right thing. And um, 
really just not even be like a father figure so much mm-hmm. as be a role model and 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 just kind of help guide Will. Exactly. Um, I think he's got a good I think he's got a, a, a good heart mm-hmm. um, and his, his he wants to protect Will as well. But we also hear more from Reverend Sloan <laughs> in this section. Um, I just go back and forth with him because some chapters, you know, he's so it seems like this has this this death of Tariq has hit him so hard because he thinks about his own son mm-hmm. and he really, really, really at his core wants to do something to stop the violence, to stop things like this from happening. But then he turns around and has a completely inappropriate relationship with a nineteen year old. Mm-hmm. And I just wanna pull jump through the pages and hit him. It really made me laugh whenever he told Kimberly to call him Al. Yeah. Like, that gave me a good chuckle. I was like, "There we go." It's yeah. Al Sharpton. <laughs> no, and then he, he gave her um, he gave her alcohol at one point. And yes. like, she's nineteen. Yeah, and he's was it? She he asked her how old she is, and she says, "I'm nineteen, almost twenty though." And he says, "Close enough, right?" <laughs> so like, shady. so you're a married grown man with a son her age. So shady, Reverend Sloan. Yeah, it's not not ideal. No. <laughs> um, we do start to get more from Sammy, mm-hmm. um, who again. Just like Junior wound up under the spell of the kings. Um, and he, again, kind of gives us a little bit more insight into, like, the four musketeers. Um, he has this line, too. You know, he was so kind of passive at first. And then I think really Tariq's stuff is hitting him hard. And he has a line about going hunting. And it feels like he's really starting to feel this rage at mm-hmm. Jack Franklin. And that's a, a side of Sammy that we had not seen until now. With, with each progressive chapter that I get from Sammy, I get more and more worried. Yeah. It's like every time Sammy comes back, I'm like, oh, God, what's Sammy up to now? Yeah, and I I'm, get really concerned. I, I'm, he, it's a bad combination of Tariq having been someone he had been so close to mm-hmm. and he, he does love and care about and also wanting Brick's approval, I think. Right. He really wants to be higher up in the Kings and he really wants Brick to, to look at him and to turn to him as the right-hand man instead of Noodle. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm like you. I'm getting more and more concerned for him. Yeah, yeah. Very, very worried about Sammy. Uh, very worried about Tyrell also. Yeah. Um, Tyrell makes me nervous in a much different way than Sammy does, um, just because I'm worried solely for Tyrell's well-being. I'm worried Sammy's going to do something stupid. Yeah, Tyrell <laughs> is heartbreaking, and the chapters just get more and more heartbreaking. They really do. We see more in the section that he is abused by his father um, and that, he has this this line about um, when the four of them um, witness a gang beating and they run off together in their little secret clubhouse and they swear that they'll never join a gang. And Tariq and Tyrell says, uh, I felt so big that day. And then he says, I've gotten smaller and smaller ever since. Mm-hmm. And I, you just worry so much about him. You feel like he's just mm-hmm. disappearing um, into the neighborhood. And you realize that with Junior gone and Sammy gone and now Tariq gone, there is no one that Tyrell has left. I know. every, And it's like even the other characters in the book recognize it. Like yeah. there are so many times when characters are just like, what is, what's this kid going to do? I mean, like well, he can't get by. Brick sees it. And yeah. And that concerns me because I think Brick wants to exploit it. Brick right. desperately wants him to join. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never really understood why they want him so badly because mm-hmm. he seems like a nerdy math kid that you would not want as a member of your gang. But... They want him badly, and I, I'm just questioning Brick's angle here. Yeah, I don't know if it's just, like, he wants more, just as many numbers as he can get into the Kings is ideal for him. I don't know what it is. You don't, I mean, it's not like you're paying, like, dues. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not, like, to up your, I don't know, I don't understand it. Oh, I don't either. Um, but, like, yeah, Tyrell is just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I want to go back to, to Will for a second, too. Sure. Um, we talked about him and Steve. Um, Will has a great line when his mother is collecting all of his hoodies because she doesn't want him to get shot. Um, it's another side of Will and, and seeing how much she still wants to really connect to to Underhill mm-hmm. and how hard it is for him to be away from that neighborhood because he feels like that's his identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, I think this part, too, I think uh, the author is really pulling from from real-life events when she talks about the hoodie. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is not something that, the first part of the book has really brought up much, that Tariq is wearing a hoodie. And I just assume that, like, all teenagers, like, they're all wearing hoodies because... It's such a popular clothing choice. Right, exactly. We were talking about before we started recording the podcast, everybody wears hoodies, we yeah. thought. Like, we wore them in school, I mean, yeah. and, and it's... It's, it's yeah. interesting that it's become, um, it's very much a... A hoodie is like a political statement, or yeah. it's a... Um, or even as a sign of... It's like this this whole generation, Will's, Will's parents' generation, want to sort of assign hoodies to, quote-unquote, like, thugs. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just to me like it's a practical clothing choice Right. because I work with kids and I see that they, you know, they don't want to lug a heavy jacket uh, back and forth to school. And so a hoodie is a nice compromise between that mm-hmm. um, and, you know, being totally cold. So, um, yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting, the dynamic, whenever uh, Will says that his mother took away all of his hoodies to, to keep him safe. And she doesn't understand he needs a hoodie to survive in Underhill. Yeah. Because without the hoodie, he's different. He's, well, yeah, he's marked. she also doesn't know that he's tagging. Right. So I think the hoodie is also to protect his face. Also that. When he's when he's down there tagging. Yes. So that's part of it as well. Yeah, Will really straddles two worlds. Mm-hmm. And that just is so hard for a teenager to be to want to, to belong to, to be forced to live in one world but want to belong to another. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I feel really, really awful for him. I have to say I wasn't really um, terribly like interested in Will's arc at the beginning of the mm-hmm. novel. I was just like, all right, so he's some kid who spray paints. And the more he talks about it, the more I'm like, I get it. Yeah. I totally, I totally, totally. get the tagging and the portraits, and it's his art, and he does it anonymously, but people respect him for mm-hmm. it. And it's just, I, I, the more and more he talks about it, I totally get it. Yeah, later on in the book, you there are little snippets where people talk about some mm-hmm. art in Underhill and some graffiti, and you realize that that's Will's work uh-huh. they're talking about. Yeah. And it kind of gives you a little sense of pride right it there. It does. It's nice. It yeah. absolutely does. Um, so one of the characters that we both dislike immensely is Noodle. <laughs> yes. And Noodle has a much bigger role in this section of the book um, in terms of his anger. I feel like his anger comes out a lot more mm. in this section. What did you take away from this this part with Noodle? Oh, gosh. I mean, all of my notes that I wrote down as I was reading are, say, variations of, ugh, Noodle, poor Jenica, ugh, Noodle again, I things like have, that. I have one note that's just like Noodle. Being a jerk. Being a jerk, as per usual. Um, I mean, whenever he grabbed Jenica by the hair and he just, I mean, it's your classic abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily extremely physically abusive, although it does obviously escalate to that at times. Jenica acknowledges that it's not the first time that he has mm-hmm. pulled her hair and hurt her before. Um, it's definitely much more psychologically abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, he manipulates her into going out with him, into staying with him. Um, I mean, he offers to pick her up from work, and then she says, please just take me home, and he says, no, we're going to Bricks, period. Yeah, and she's really, really struggling. Yes. Um, and feels like she's just totally stuck. 
with Noodle and she can't get away. And I think it's funny that Brick, I feel like, appreciates and respects Jenica mm. more than her own boyfriend. Yes. I, <laughs> I I mentioned this before we began recording, but my note on Brick at one point was, Brick's crazy, but he makes a valid, ar- valid argument. Do I like Brick? I mean... Very confusing. Brick really Brick, makes a lot of good arguments in this book. He is a very confusing character. He is. He absolutely is. I mean, there are times when Brick talks, I'm just like, I get it, man. You're, you're making good choices. And then there are other times where I'm like, please don't stab anyone. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, well, we see more about Brick, and Brick actually has a sister, uh, Sheila, and we see more of their kind of dynamic mm-hmm. in the section that he's been taking care of her and paying for her to be in a, a pretty nice facility. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, his sister was friends with Tina, um, uh, Tariq's little sister, and so that's kind of how they got to know each other. So, you know, he has he has legitimate um, good feelings and, and, and a had a close relationship with Tariq. Right. Not just, you know, besides wanting him to join the gang. He he actually kind of knew him and respected a side of him that a lot of people didn't see. So that makes it, I think, hard to completely hate Brick and discount him. Brick's also trying to figure out um, what the events of what happened. And mm-hmm. I find that really interesting because Noodle just doesn't care. Noodle's like, whatever, it happened, it's over, can we all just move on? Mm-hmm. And... Brick wants to piece down exactly what happened. He's trying to run the play-by-play. He's feeling like things aren't adding up. He's starting to maybe question, you know, initially he was certain that Tariq had a gun, and now he's starting to question that because he's going, well, if he had a gun, where did it go? Who's got it now? So, yeah, I think Brick is definitely a smart guy mm-hmm. um, and and trying to really piece together exactly what happened and exactly what, as a, as a gang, what their next step is going to be. Mm-hmm. I think it's... Um is it Sammy that he pulls aside because he thinks that mm-hmm. Sammy made off with, with Tariq's gun? Yeah, he notices that Sammy has a gun, and he's convinced that that's mm-hmm. where Sammy got it. Right, and so he, he, I mean, before he confronts Sammy about it, he says, I'm going to cut the guy who took Tariq's gun mm-hmm. for not giving it to me mm-hmm. immediately. So, I mean, I was really worried for Sammy in that in I that moment. I worry a little bit for Sammy. Yeah. I don't think Sammy's the brightest bulb. <laughs> no. And no. so I, I'm a little bit con- concerned for him there. I think he's one of those people who needed Tariq and Tyrell to make smart decisions for him and not having them around anymore is, is difficult. Sammy definitely is kind of a, here are people, I will follow them. Exactly. He's, he's definitely a follower, not mm-hmm. a leader. Right. Um, and I think... Uh, Noodle is a little bit like that as well. He wants to be he wants to be Brick's right hand man. He's happy to be Brick's right hand man, mm-hmm. and he wants to just kind of follow and do whatever Brick says. But he's starting to get annoyed in this section because he feels like Brick is still hung up on Tariq, and he wants to just move on. And he doesn't understand kind of the bigger picture. That is a really interesting point about Noodle. Is like we see all of these characters, and everyone has kind of different levels of aspirations for their life, but. I hadn't really thought about it until you just said that Noodle's entire aspiration is being the best right-hand man he can yeah. be. He doesn't even have any aspirations further than that. He's just like, I want to be solidly Brick's number mm-hmm. two. Yeah, no, he, he, he has no, yeah. That's all he's got. If anything were to happen to Brick, I don't know what would happen to Noodle. What, what would he do? <laughs> I guess find another another general to, yeah. to, to be lieutenant to because he really has no... That is absolutely a great point. He has, he has like you said, no aspirations. He, too... This section went from being, he's still a jerk, Mm -hmm. and I still dislike him, Mm -hmm. but we see a little bit as reasons as to maybe why he seems so cold Mm -hmm. and heartless. Um, He he seems like he doesn't have a whole lot of hope for his future. Right. Um, He's a little bit hopeless, and like you said, there's that line about um, 
uh, or like you said, there's the bit about him perhaps not having any higher aspirations. He's perfectly happy doing what he's doing and being who he is. Um, and he kind of assumes that he'll do it until something happens to him. And at the end of this section, he talks about there's a suit hanging in his closet. And he wore it when his dad died, and he wore it when his cousin came back from Iraq. And he knows, like, the next time he'll wear it will be his funeral. And he's pretty much determined that that's just going to be, I guess, you know, gang-related, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can actually, I can read a little bit from page, it's page 160 where he's talking about the suit. And the last paragraph says, it hangs at the back of my closet all the way back where I don't have to look at it. I don't want to think about the day it comes up useful again. So it really is kind of... It seems like he's just saving it for when he dies. Mm-hmm. That's that's uh, it's pretty vague, but I mean that's how I read it as well. Yeah, I, I mean I guess he could mean like a, a court appearance, but I just yeah. assumed that he's so hopeless. I just assumed he meant right when he dies. And you found something. You actually caught something that I didn't catch mm-hmm. that may explain it. That Noodle may have been um, assaulted. Right um, on page one fifty, he is. Uh, talking just kind of to himself and to Jenica, and he mentions, back in juvie with some big king telling me to kneel or get cut. That's it. One sentence. And when I read it, I immediately thought, that explains Noodle. Mm-hmm. Um, now now I get it. Maybe, maybe this one incident where he was in juvie, somebody he thought he could trust, somebody in his own gang who's supposed to be protecting him, mm-hmm. um, perhaps actually assaulted him. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like I said, it is just the one sentence. I don't really know if there's a different way I could read that. Um, that's pre- it seems to me pretty clear what it yeah, means. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Another character um, that we haven't really touched on but he comes back in this section is uh, Tom Arlen hmm. um, and his role in Tariq's death. Jack Franklin shows up on his doorstep with the gun back. Yeah. Which I thought, to me, seems completely implausible. It, the cops would have just, like, handed him it back and said, all right, hang on, okay. I feel later. like those would have to be, like, some corrupt cops or something. It would have to, yeah. It would I have mean, to there's be someone or, like, someone just not, like, paying attention to the evidence locker. Like, you, you need that evidence, right? Yeah. I mean, like, did they just dust it for fingerprints and say, you did your civilian duty, here you go, congratulations. I mean, I, I guess mean, they must have, it, it does make it seem like they just immediately believed the eyewitness statements. Right. Um, and that, that said that Tariq was armed and it was self-defense. Um, but to actually let him have it back mm-hmm. just strikes me as uh, unbelievable. And I wonder if maybe uh, uh, Kekla Magoon was maybe thinking about Trayvon Martin again, because I know that the shooter in that instance, he did eventually get his guns yes, back. Yes, he, did. he um, did. I don't know if it was quite this fast. I mean, I think he got him back like four days after the shooting yeah. in this book. Um, so maybe it was kind of sped up for the narrative purpose. That's possible. That's um, good point. So I don't, I don't know if it was kind of a, an artistic license that was taken there or what. But yeah, he shows right up on Tom Arlen's doorstep with his guns back and says, hey, I can't go home. They're coming for me. Can I hang out at Can your I place? Can low for a while? Yeah. yeah. And Tom is like, Starting to really kind of question some stuff, and he says, uh, Tom actually says, lived here 20 years, and I've never known a gunman in Underhill to walk away that easy, no matter the circumstances. Um, Because he doesn't understand. He says, being hauled downtown, questioned, released with no charges pending. I'm interested in how it all happened. Um, He's starting to question, like, how is is this kind of the end of it? How Mm -hmm. is he not... How is no one asking tough questions, and how are they not, you know, interviewing more people? And and Tom hasn't been called in, as far as we know, anymore to talk to the police. 
So um, he's he's really starting to kind of question his role, I think, in everything. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I really wish that he hadn't let Jack Franklin in his house. It made Such me, a bad decision. I know, yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned this a little bit before, is every chapter, it seems, for every person, I just get more and more worried yeah. for everyone. And um, Tom Arlen is no exception. I'm immediately worried for him that he let Jack Franklin into his home. Because Tom Arlen is not necessarily a bad guy. No. Um, he, he's trying to do what's right. Um, like a lot of characters in this book. Um, exactly. So. Well, one of the themes, I think, of this section is it, it feels like things are starting to bubble, mm-hmm. kind of bubble up. I think a lot of the grief, initial grief at Tariq's death is turning to anger. Mm-hmm. You know, Sammy has that line about going hunting. Um, we are starting, people are starting to question what happened. You know, Brick is starting to try to piece it all together. Tom Arlen is questioning what happened. Um, the media storm is starting to build. Jenica gets questioned in the coffee shop where she works. Um, a reporter comes in and, and tries to give her money to talk on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really feels like everything's kind of starting to bubble up. There's starting to be a lot of anger, some protests. Um, and even, you know, Jenica and Noodle's relationship kind of mirrors that at this point. It's really starting to get heated. That's a good point, yeah. So I definitely think that um, Jack making terrible decisions and Sammy making terrible decisions is a result kind of of feeding into what's what's going on around them. Absolutely. Is there anyone else in the section that we heard from that uh, you feel like had a, some points that were important to the narrative? Oh, Rocky. Yeah. Poor Rocky. Um, this is where we left off in our first podcast, um, so it seems fitting that we should talk about Rocky again. Um, bless his heart. He's still just trying to do the best that he can. He's grappling with his guilt that it's his fault that Tariq was shot. He was just trying to do the right thing and get Tariq his change back. And if he hadn't been shouting at Tariq and Brian hadn't then thought that he was stealing, would any of this have happened? Yeah. Um, And he's kind of having to deal with that thought. He also mentions um, just the sheer amount of police presence, of Mm -hmm. media presence in the neighborhood, and he's never seen anything like it before. And you really get the feeling from Rocky that he's been there for a long time. Yeah, I really want, I have in my notes, I wanted Rocky to come forward. He's one of the characters I wanted to come forward and have us sit down with someone in the media and say, this is exactly what I saw, and this is exactly what happened. So they can piece together the events of of the day. Right. Um, It seems so easy. Yeah. I mean, because it's like, no. Here, here's what Rocky knows. It's a fact. But, I mean, he's he just seems so scared. Yeah, I felt just absolutely horrible for him. And he's got a line um, where he says, um, he's reading the headlines that are in the newspapers in his store. And he says, the national news printed his mother's full statement decrying the violence that took her son's life and demanding justice. In the same article, Reverend Sloan calls for further investigation and suggests race bias. There's something to that. I remember how those police were in here acting like they already knew what had happened, waiting for me to come around and agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm proud of him for, for standing up and saying, no, that's not what happened. Tariq was not stealing from me. I was just trying to give him his change back. Right. But he does, he feels like he's in over his head. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about Kimberly? And what's been going on with her in this section? Man, she's got a crush yeah, she like does. no other. Yeah, big time. And it's horribly inappropriate. So wrong. 
Um, I mean, whenever she had her first interaction um, with Reverend Sloan, and I, we talked a little bit in our first podcast how it was kind of this really empowering moment for her taking back her femininity, and she's always been teased for being this big round girl, and here's this man who appreciates her mm-hmm. finally for what she is and what she looks like. Um, and Reverend Sloan is possibly the worst person that she could have gotten this validation from, given that he is an older married man with a son her age. Yeah, and not someone who's going to stick around. Exactly. I mean, we all see the writing on the wall. He's going to swoop in, do what he needs to do, um, and leave at the end. Mm-hmm. And I think she is falling, and I, I worry about her, about what happens when, when that time comes. Exactly, yeah. And it's just, I mean, Kimberly's so sweet, and she really, she kind of reminds me of, of Tyrell almost, where it's like she's yeah. just kind of too pure and good and innocent for this horrible world, and I want to protect her. And it, Yeah, and it... it, it you just want her to get out of Underhill. Yeah. And I think that's what Keklo was trying to get us to see was there are kids just like this all across the country in neighborhoods just like Underhill who are fighting for a way out mm-hmm. and, and need a way out. And that really does kind of seem what Kimberly sees Reverend Sloan as. Mm-hmm. He's kind of her ticket out. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that she thinks if she can just get him to want it, if she can just be attractive and uh, compelling enough for him to want to keep her around, maybe she can escape. Maybe yeah. she can get out of here. Absolutely. And I, I, I want her to, to get out for other reasons. And, yes. And do it on her own. <laughs> You're good on your own, Kimberly. You're good on <laughs> you don't need her. Self-esteem. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So. And we got a lot more. Um, really heartbreaking chapters from Tina in this section. Um, One of the things that stuck most with me was when she was talking about how Tariq had cast a magic spell on the monsters and she wasn't sure how long it was going to last now that he's gone. Tyrell and and Tina are like Tariq's that just that's I think Heckle's way of showing us his sweet side. Yeah. Of his really kind and gentle side. And yeah, I, I worry for Tina. I worry for the whole family, but especially Tina who doesn't seem to quite understand what mm-hmm. has happened. I know, yeah. There was in one of her chapters it said no more Snickers. Yeah. And I, and that was kind of the moment where I kind of felt like Tina got it. Yeah. Um when when she realized that she she's just like, I can't eat those anymore. That's what that's what caused it. I mean, there are so many people who seem like they're taking full responsibility mm-hmm. for what happened. I think that Tina and Rocky both kind of feel completely responsible. Yeah. Um, Tina in her own way, obviously. Um, and I I think that Brian feels a modicum of responsibility as well, despite the fact that he's kind of trying to really go with the fact that he that Tariq deserved it. I think that I, I don't think that Brian believes that. Yeah, he he does. He he's really doubling down on his uh, belief about who Tariq was and what he thought Tariq had and saw. And, yeah, he's... Whereas Tom Arlen has a capacity, I think, to question himself and Mm -hmm. question his role and question what he saw. Like, Brian doesn't... It's like, it's almost... It's too unbearable for him to think that maybe I was wrong, and so he's got to push himself to believe that he was right, no matter what. Right. I mean, Rocky and Tina sort of have just sunk into their Mm -hmm. grief and into their belief that they have caused this in some Mm -hmm. way or another, and Brian has gone the the opposite way. Right. He's, no, he deserved it. It's not my fault. I didn't cause the death of this innocent boy. I know. I want Brian and Rocky to have a conversation. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. If they actually... Talked, talked it's, it out. Right. I, I, but then I, I worry that Brian would have some sort of complete and utter meltdown. Yeah. Maybe, which he deserves. He does. But, yeah. He does. I mean, that seems kind of, like you mentioned, the theme of this section is is everyone kind of trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And and they're, everyone's just trying to do their best. And, I mean, Brian 
was in that first chapter doing what he thought was right. He thought that he was stopping a guy who robbed a store. Right. Um, that, that wasn't what was happening, but he didn't know that. Right. He, he thought he was helping. Um, so, I mean, you, you really do feel for just, just about everyone. It'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in the next section with Brian. Absolutely. He's one I kind of want to keep an eye on. Yes. Anyone else for you that you're interested to see what happens to them in part three? Um, Junior. I'd like to hear more about Junior. Um, And I also was really interested uh, to meet the girl that Melody hangs out with. Yeah. In in her uh, home. Mm -hmm. I I don't know the word for it. Um, Yeah, to to meet Sheila, the girl that Melody hangs out with, who we find out is Brick's little sister. Yeah. Um, And you mentioned a little bit before how... I jump ahead sometimes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned before how that was kind of what brought Tariq and Brick together. Um, And, I mean, you you get such sweet moments Mm -hmm. between Tariq and Brick. And Brick mentions in one of his sections that it's hard hard to... keep up that guard whenever you're around a guy making silly faces and kissing boo-boos on the playground. Right, pushing him on the swings. Right, and singing songs. You can't really be tough and talk, you know, gang business. Right. Um, And I I just kind of wonder if we're going to get any more of Sheila, maybe see some more of that sweetness in Brick come out. I hope we do, because I think Brick is a really interesting character, and I'm I'm interested to see how he develops. Mm -hmm. Um, I think think he can still be redeemed. I have my doubts about Noodle. Um, (laughs) Poor but Noodle. I, th- I, I think, think he's too far gone. Yeah, I think so, too. But I think that Brick still has a shot. I think there's a capacity for good in Brick still. I agree. I um, agree. Th- from the way that he, he thinks of Jenica um, yeah. and the way that we have seen him interact with his sister in his in his memories. But, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't think of Jenica in just a purely, like, lustful way yeah, or anything like that. Yeah, having these parties and having these girls around. Mm-hmm. And he clearly just treats the girls like they're just, you know, objects to dance for him. But right. he doesn't see Jenica that way. Right. He's like, no, she's smart, and she's got a good head on her shoulders, and I like the way she sees things. And there was so. a point when I was really concerned for Jenica when she got so drunk mm-hmm. um, on her empty stomach. And whenever she goes into the party at Brick's, I was just like, oh, God, what is going to happen mm-hmm. to Jenica? I was really, really worried. And Brick was just sitting in that chair like, ugh, Jenica's drunk. I thought I was going to have somebody smart to talk to. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that was so interesting. I, yeah. I, I just thought that was going to take a completely different direction. I was like, oh, Jenica's fine. Never mind. Maybe would be heartbroken. <laughs> yeah. If he, if he knew that Brick was upset. I know. Talking to him. Right? It's just like, oh, he just wanted somebody nice to talk to, and he can't because she's passed out. Exactly. So, well, that's fine. <laughs> it could be worse. Um, so I think that's it for us for this week. Mm-hmm. And we'll be back next week to talk about uh, section three of the book. If you're reading along with us, that's about pages 161 through about uh, 240. Um, you can check out our website, www.lexpublib.org backslash one book. And there you'll find more information about the series of events we're having this April, including book clubs at a couple of our branches, um, an art contest for students in grades 6 through 12, Um, And also our Teen Summit, Rising Up, a Community Conversation About Violence, and that will be at the Northside Branch Library on April 23rd. You can get more information about how to sign up there and uh, come see Kekla Magoon speak. Come see the author. We're so excited to host her and have her here and talk to her about this great book. So thanks for tuning in and hope we'll see you next week. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, Alexa.